This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good morning, Craig. How are you doing? Very good, mate. How are you? Very good, thanks. Let's first focus on the markets and the story so far, and these very much affected by rising yields at the moment. Yeah, there's a massive focus on yields in the markets at the moment and what's driving that, the hawkish commentary we're seeing, high inflation, etc. We've something we've talked about for many weeks, if not months at this point. And we're still continuing to see hawkish commentary from central bankers. James Bullard, among the more hawkish policymakers within the Federal Reserve, continuing to push his view that interest rates should hit 3.5% by the end of this year. Even talking about the possibility, although it's not his base case earlier this week, of a 75 basis point rate hike. That's something we haven't seen in almost 30 years, uh, which when you were talking how shocking it could be that we could see a 50 basis point or multiple 50 basis point rate hikes, that's something we haven't seen in 20 years um, recently. That's that, that shows how far this is now moving. Now, there is a view that inflation has probably now peaked, but the question now becomes, firstly, has it peaked and is there going to be evidence to support that over the course of the next month or so? But secondly, then how quickly is it going to decline? Because the assumption up until this point has been that the decline is going to be quite rapid initially once you start to lose base effects with comparisons to last year. But if we don't see that falling as rapidly, then that is going to continue to feed into the inflation narrative, even if it is now heading in the right direction. So there's a big focus still on inflation and interest rates and we are still seeing U.S. interest, uh, U.S. bond yields, sorry, rising, uh, which I think is still continuing to have a, an impact on the market. We've seen them pair back slightly today, which is supporting U.S. futures, potentially supporting sentiment in the broader market. And I think that investors have really taken the movements that we have seen in the yield curves and changes in interest rate expectations in their stride to a great extent. But there is still this sensitivity in the market to it, and I think that's been quite evident today. And. Focusing on those uh, interest rates, and uh, I mean, that's a eye-watering figure of uh, 75 basis points that could uh, really rock the market if that was to happen. That's having an effect on Japan's markets, and particularly the Bank of Japan, with the yield curve differential. Japanese yields up, yen down. Yeah, the yield curve differential with uh, the US and other central banks has become really clear. And nowhere is that more clear, really, than in Japan. We've seen the central banks around the world, they're either raising interest rates like the US, like the Bank of England, like Canada, New Zealand, etc., etc., or they're at least removing some of the accommodation, even to the to some extent the ECB, which is starting to pair back its tapering, uh, pair back its bond buying, and potentially preparing the markets for an interest rate either late this year or early next year. But the Bank of Japan is holding firm, and you can understand why to some extent. The inflation is still very low. Headline inflation is around target, but core inflation is still well below. So the incentive isn't really there on their pop. Now they're being caught up in the storm that's really brewing across these broader markets. Because while they don't really need to be raising interest rates at this point, when yields are rising, it tends to kind of lift yields elsewhere as well. This kind of this rising tide lifts all mentality. And what we've seen is the Japanese yields have risen from around 0% to around 0.25%. That may not seem like much, but the Bank of Japan's yield curve control policy means that what they want to do is keep the 10-year JGB at 0% within a certain band, and that band is around 0.25% either side. So when it starts to hit the upper end of that band, as it is now, around 0.25%, then the Bank of Japan will become 
uh, more actively involved in markets and purchase up to an unlimited amount of bonds in order at, at 0.25% to try and push that yield uh, lower. And we saw that happen a couple of weeks ago and it was very effective. And now they've announced this morning that they're going to start engaging in that again from uh, tomorrow. That's important because it means that the Bank of Japan is going to having to work very hard just in order to sustain this yield. It kind of feels like a currency fix, uh, and we've seen that central banks have come under pressure from that before. When the pressure has become unsustainable, the obvious one that springs to mind, of course, is the Swiss National Bank all those years ago when they uh, abandoned the currency peg against the euro. We're not saying that that's at the point of where we're at now, but the pressure is becoming unsustainable for the Bank of Japan because the more bonds they ultimately purchase, the weaker the yen becomes. And that's creating other pressures, not for the in the yield side of things, but from the economy side of things. We look at the trade figures overnight and it's having a massive impact on the trade balance. Suddenly, yes, a weaker yen is good for exporters, but it's terrible for importers. And Japan is a massive importer of energy. Uh, and this is a time when energy prices are already very high. So when you've got a weakening yen on the back, on top of that, then suddenly your imports are enormously higher. And that's going to come with, create massive economic headwinds. So now we're in a situation where all but almost where the Bank of Japan is having to intervene in the markets to try and maintain its yield curve control. And at the same time, there's a lot of talk about the Ministry of Finance intervening in the markets to try and stop the yen weakening too quickly. Central banks and governments don't typically mind the currency movements that happen as long as they happen at a gradual pace. When things accelerate rapidly, then that can create massive pressures, both in terms of domestically, in terms of the economy, but also in terms of inflation or deflation as well. So the fact that we're seeing these rapid moves in the currency means that we're starting to hear more talk of the Ministry of Finance intervening in the market. So you've almost got interventions all over the place in Japan to try and sustain ultimately what is the yield curve control. I imagine at some point, if this pressure continues to mount, then the Bank of Japan is going to have to rethink its policy. That could come in the form of widening the acceptable band that allowed the 10-year yield to move between, or even raising the target rate that it wants to achieve and effectively giving some rope uh, to uh, the markets, reducing some of these pressures, reducing the amount of bonds it has to purchase, which may in turn be seen as a slight tightening of monetary policy and create some upward pressure on the currency and alleviate those those kind of pressures. I think that's probably where we're going to head at some point. And you imagine that they will communicate this well with the markets. But at this point in time, we're just continuing to see them fight back and push back against this. And uh, it's hard to imagine this ending particularly well, even for a central bank as big as the Bank of Japan. And staying in the Far East and uh, China, which has decided not to cut its loan prime rate overnight. Were you surprised at by the decision? I wouldn't say I was entirely surprised, but there was speculation that they could cut the loan prime rate, particularly, I think, the one year. And the, the rates are effectively associated with different things. The longer term rates that tend to be more associated with the property market. And one thing that China's repeatedly made clear that it doesn't want to do is support a property market that is unsustainable. In fact, they've been clamping down on the property market now for uh, more than a year. And that's what's led to the, the troubles which we've obviously seen with Evergrande and other developers, these highly leveraged property players who uh, are now coming under severe strain. So I think the last thing that China wants to be seen to be doing is then supporting the sector and allowing some of these to survive through its policies. But equally, it needs to continue to support growth. Growth target this year was 5.5%, and that was seen as ambitious at the start of the year. That was before they started imposing lockdowns in Shanghai and elsewhere to try and get to grips with the latest COVID outbreak. 
And the comments which we've had from them in recent weeks has suggested that they're ready to support the markets, they're ready to support the economy, and that measures are going to be announced in order to enable them to do so. And it's been quite disappointing, if I'm, if I'm honest, since then. We've seen a triple R rate cut, which will do a certain amount to alleviate some of those pressures and support the economy. We've seen some very targeted measures in order to try and support certain parts of the economy, but they're clearly reluctant to do something that could support parts of the economy that is seen as undesirable, like the property market. So we haven't seen anything overly substantial at this point that is giving investors any kind of confidence that the Chinese authorities are going to do what it takes to hit this growth target, which is something that you come to expect uh, with China over the past 30 years or so. They will do whatever it takes to hit that growth target, and we're just not seeing that at the moment. Okay, finally, let's uh, go west and talk about the ECB. And there is some suggestion now from some analysts that there could be a much earlier rate hike than expected. Indeed, it could be as early as July. Yeah, the markets have been pricing in rate hikes for a few months now. I'm still very sceptical, if I'm honest, not because we don't see high inflation in the euro area, but because there's so much more pushback within the ECB than we've seen elsewhere. And you can understand why to some extent. This is an economy, this is a block that has been fighting deflation more than inflation or the risk of deflation rather than the risk of inflation for many, many years. And while headline inflation is very high, it's driven by many things, but primarily energy prices, which policymakers typically overlook. Things like wage pressures just don't exist to the same extent as they do in the US and the UK. So maybe that policymakers think that buys them a bit of a free pass and buys them time. They're still buying bonds. We're still seeing tapering at the ECB. So this idea that we could see a rate hike soon I find hard to believe that they'd have to massively ramp up their tapering. They'd have to bring bond purchases to an end much sooner than they're currently planning. We saw last week, for example, from Christine Lagarde that they don't let any secrets whatsoever as to when that could be. Um, very vague as always. Bond buying will end in the third quarter as is currently planned. When asked to be more specific, so that could be anything from the start of the quarter to the end of the quarter and so on and so forth. And that rate hikes will begin sometime after that and sometime could be anything from 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 weeks to many months so again not letting anything go so this is a bank that's clearly very reluctant to be raising interest rates even though the markets are heavily pricing that in and you've got to say the markets have been right with all central banks um over the course of this year so if you're going to back any of those to be ultimately correct you would think that the markets uh, will be correct on this point again and the comment that we've had today from the Latvian Central Bank uh, head, the uh, Martins Kazaks, uh, who's a member of the governing council, suggested that we could see a rate increase possibly as soon as July. Now, again, that seems very ambitious. You'd imagine this we're hearing from one of the more hawkish policymakers within the European Central Bank uh, governing council, uh, and that there's not necessarily a consensus for that, because if they're going literally from nothing, from starting to taper your bond buying from accelerating that and bringing it to an end at some point in the third quarter to just a few months later saying but and we're going to be ending it and raising interest rates that seems like a very dramatic move for a central bank like the ecb that doesn't mean that we won't see them signal in june when we get the new economic projections that a rate hike could come this year but i think july may be coming a bit sooner maybe this is just one central banker maybe laying the groundwork for a more hawkish shift from the central bank which is something that Ultimately, Christine Lagarde should have been doing last week rather than effectively trying to dodge any questions. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.